Quick shout out to the show sponsors, Kogala. If you haven't tried out their light, check them out. Check out the show notes for a link and a discount code. But talk about a perfect light for those late trail runs. Late at night when it's super dark and you're not sure if you can see the rocks and roots, Kogala's really come through for me. So check that out. Exoskin, they now have a skull cap. They're coming out with wool toe socks and just high quality fabrics. I I only used one pair of their toe socks. I use their calf sleeves also. And uh, I, I think I used their base layer shirt. But one pair of toe socks throughout all of Black Canyon 100K with probably five or six water crossings. And personally, I didn't have any blisters. I kicked some rocks super hard. I don't think it matters what kind of sock you're wearing for that one. But uh, no blisters. And I only used one pair of the same pair of shoes and same pair of socks throughout the whole 100K. So I keep seeing great results with those socks and, and base layers, compression bottoms, just all really high-tech, high-quality. Appreciate Exoskin. Destination Trail, Orcas Island is coming up at the beginning of May. If you haven't checked it out, they have races of a variety of distances. This is the first year they're going to offer the 200-mile race, which I will be attending And yeah, they have a 50 miler. That's awesome. 60,000 feet of gain on the 200 miler. So if you're looking for a challenge, that's about as good as it gets here in America. And yeah, I'm just super excited. I've heard great things about those trails. So thank you to Candace Burt and her team. Big thank you to Hammer Nutrition. We'll be using a ton of hammer gels. If you haven't checked out Perpetuum, it's a liquid calorie. I'll be drinking that all throughout 2020. So Appreciate Hammer's support from day one. Shout out to the Ultra Red team. I'll be using Ultras throughout all of 2020. And yeah, we can dive into that some other time. But in terms of gear, I've decided I really like the Zero Drop and the larger toe box that Ultra shoes provide, especially on those 200 milers. So last mention, thank you to the Patreon supporters, closed Facebook group, I now have different tiers. I want to give a shout out to Richard Murray, David Cobert, Meg Collins, Ray Simmons, Brian Sands, Todd Arnold, and Pat Patterson. Really appreciate you guys. Also, a quick mention, and I, I really appreciate all the Patreon supporters. Tom, Ian, Matthew, Josephine, Jason, Don, Ruthie, Joshua, Garrett, Trina, and Paul. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Hi, I'm Katie Scheid. Welcome to the Training for Ultra podcast. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. A great cause. Oh, thanks, man. I respect the shit out of that, man. So you keep doing what you do, it, man. Keep inspiring. And that was a moment I, I can look back on now. And uh, that was one of my favorite moments, getting a foot massage by Hayden at mile 62. This is um, a fan of yours, and I'm just calling in to express my admiration. It's Dean Carnassus, the ultra marathon man. Hello, listeners. This is Chris Mako, and we are live. And you're listening to Training for Ultra podcast. This is Anime Flynn, and I'm here talking to Training for Ultra podcast. Yeah, it's like really, I just need to catch up with Rob. 100 miles is not that far. 
I, I thought oh. it was a joke, actually. It, it is. I thought it was one of your jokes, yeah. It is a joke. Okay. okay. <laughs> so classic. Oh my god, because literally thing would be like, beep, beep, beep. Mother, mother, beep. Mother, mother, beep, beep. Mother, beep, mother, beep, 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 beep. One, two, one, two, three, four. <laughs> Training for Ultra Podcasts. I'm Sally McRae, also known as Yellow Runner. Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra Podcast. Welcome to episode 128 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra, and we have a super talented runner that you might not have heard of yet. Katie Scheid took, man, a lot of the big races in Europe, she's either winning or on the podium. This is a super talented runner. I don't think she's gotten enough interviews and honestly attention for her talent level a lot of that has to do with her just being in europe a lot and i'm excited to share this interview so enjoy it let me know what you think any kind of feedback feel free to email me trainingforultra at gmail.com enjoy the episode i'm joined here by katie scheid she was ninth ultra runner of the year in 2019 she's a heck of a runner And hasn't done many interviews, so I wanted to make sure to get her story told, get her on the podcast. Katie, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks. Where where are you joining us from? Where are you these days? I am currently in southern France in the Mercantour National Park. And that, I mean, I, I looked that up and you're only like a car ride from pretty much the most amazing places on the planet. Is that right? Like where whereabouts is that? Um, so it's just about an hour and a half north of Nice. So a lot of people know Nice because it's a city (laughs) and the French Riviera, but actually just behind Nice, um, is this amazing section of the Alps, um, called the Maritime Alps. And that's where I'm based with my partner, Sharma. And I would actually argue that we're not a car ride away from the most beautiful places. We're actually in the most beautiful place. (laughs) (laughs) No, valid point. I mean, and so is it is it year round amazing or like what what's the weather there? Like, yeah, right? it's it is amazing year round. So in the winter, where we have some amazing ski touring, um, tons of different options on either side of the valley that we live in. Uh, we can ski from the house and. There's two ski resorts if you want to do some like fast uphill meter training. Uh, but then there's also tons of cool like, high mountain style stuff and also like easy ski touring in the trees when it's more dangerous. Um, and then in the summer, it's, yeah, it's beautiful rocky ridges. And there's also more runnable trails. So I personally think we have it all. Oh, there's also great uh, road cycling. We live at the bottom of Europe's highest paved road. So the highest pass in Europe. And how are the trails in the area during the summertime? And I'm I'm guessing spring, is it a shorter spring in fall or? Uh, The spring, yeah. I mean, I guess we're heading into spring right now, but we just had a big snowstorm last night. So Charmont is out skiing all day. And um, yeah, we've got good spring snow. So since the high peaks are um, just over, well, almost to 3,000 meters. Um, we get some late snow, so we can ski pretty late if we want to, but also the valley 
is pretty low. Um, so we can also run in the spring. So we're kind of spoiled. We can do both. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. This kind of leads to, I mean, part of what you're doing training wise, correct? I mean, you're, it sounds like you're skiing almost as much as you're running. Is that fair to say? In the winter, we definitely spend more time on skis than running. Yeah, definitely. Time on skis. Interesting. And, and Katie, where did you grow up? Is this similar to home, like where you grew up? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> I grew up in Maine. Uh, well, I guess the, the ruralness is similar to Maine, but um, in all other aspects, it's not so similar. So I grew up in central Maine, um, just near Augusta, which is the capital of Maine. And um, yeah, but not really close to any mountains. It was two hours to get to the White Mountains um, in New Hampshire. So kind of a drive if you wanted to do anything with some real elevation. Yeah, I'm assuming you played multiple sports growing up or were you a a runner early or or how'd that go? Yeah, I think it started as I just kind of thought I was one of the kids who just like wanted to sign up for everything. So I was playing like soccer and field hockey like every other day because I wanted to do both and they were at the same time. And then basketball, tennis, lacrosse. Uh, I did everything really that you could do, at least tried everything. Um, And then I started, I joined the track team, I guess, in middle school is when I kind of started running really. Um, But I didn't really stick with track in high school. I ran a bit um, on the indoor track, but wasn't, yeah, it, it was more just for fun and it wasn't something I took super seriously. Um, and then I think I started running like more running, running (laughs) in college, um, more to catch up with friends and kind of just, you know, stay fit (laughs) while you're eating in the dining hall. And then, um, yeah. And then when I moved to Utah after college, I just started running more on the trails and kind of signed up for some races and it just kind of built from there. There was no like moment where anything began. So did you, you go to college locally, like within Maine? Uh, no, I went to Middlebury college in Vermont, Vermont. Okay. And yeah. I mean, were you still hiking a bunch or? Yeah, I worked. I, I mean, I definitely hiked a lot in college. Um, but then I, I was also working in the AMC mountain huts in New Hampshire, um, which are more or less on the Appalachian trail, that runs through the white mountains of New Hampshire. So I was spending, I spent four summers working in the huts. Um, so we were hiking a lot and we were also carrying all the fresh food to the huts, uh, twice a week and carrying out all the trash. So hiking with heavy weight. And then if it wasn't your day to cook, you also had the whole like middle of the day off. So we would just kind of run around and frolic in the mountains, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, there's we could have a whole episode just on this experience like what are these huts like i I imagine i I don't know like pretty crude type shelter i mean what what are these uh eight huts that you're spending your summers during college taking care of yeah i think that when you use the word hut it sounds like it's oh it's really you know roughing it in the wilderness but these huts are um I would describe them more as like mountain lodges. So they're, even though they're on the Appalachian trail, um, 
their real purpose is to provide a place to stay for more like your average hiker or a family who lives in Boston and wants to spend a weekend hiking. Um, so lots of families, kids, uh, wide range of people. Um, and they come and it's, it's really a whole experience. So it's, it's bunk rooms, but they're pretty nice bunk rooms and there's toilets. Um, they're composting toilets, but still toilets with doors. Um, there's a full service kitchen. So the biggest hut that I worked in is Lakes of the Clouds hut and that's on Mount Washington and that sleeps a hundred people. And yeah, (laughs) it's a lot of people and our crew was 11 people. So it's a lot of people and the kitchen is huge and we would serve breakfast and then a multi-course dinner every night, provide evening programs like nature walks and kind of show off how the hut runs on renewable energy and we did skits and yeah, it's, it's really a whole experience. It's not just a, a place you like show up with a sleeping bag. You had a hundred person hut per se. Yeah. And you had to bring everything in on foot. Uh, not everything. So because okay. the huts operate off a special use permit from the U S forest service, they're only allowed helicopter flies a few times per year. So at the beginning of the season, they would fly all of the non-perishable items to the hut. So it's like flour, canned beans, like anything that comes in a can or a bag and you can have for the whole summer. So the hut would be fully stocked with that kind of stuff. And then we were carrying the vegetables, uh, like dairy, meat products, um, or anything that you kind of ran out of throughout the season. That's fascinating. And so why Utah after college? Uh, I had, yeah, I had a friend who was moving to Logan, uh, to Utah State University. Um, and then my boyfriend at the time was living in Salt Lake. So I kind of wanted to go there to do the whole, like, you know, move West and be a ski bum type thing, (laughs) but, um, ended up finding, uh, that's what I did by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you're still there, right? (laughs) But I ended up finding a master's position at the University of Utah. So um, I did my master's degree in geology there. Nice. Nice. And were you there a while? I mean, I'm assuming that's when running picked up because those trails are, you know, some of the best in the world. Yeah, I was there for two years, um, just until I finished my master's. And that's when I... uh, moved but probably get to that in a minute but yeah i i think the living in utah was a big part of how i found uh, trail and ultra running because the trails are really nice and well buffed and it doesn't snow a ton in the valley in the winter so you can still run even in the winter i was running on the trails which was cool um yeah I mean, were you were you picking up speed too? Were you feeling slow relative to the other people running around there, or like, how were you developing as a runner? Um, I mean, at first, I didn't really have any like plans. I was just running, kind of, to stay in shape, like I had always done in in college. And then uh, I saw. So moving back a bit, when I worked in the huts, I did this thing called the Hut Traverse, which you may have seen the the video about my FKT this summer. Um, but it's the amazing, first hut- amazing video, by the way, <laughs> listener should definitely check that out on YouTube. I think 
Thanks. Yeah, it was it was fun to be there this summer with Sharma. Um, but the first hut traverse I did was when I worked in the huts. I actually did it three times, and it was always the big challenge of the summer. So when I was in Salt Lake, I saw that that there was this race called the Speed Goat, um, which was in the ski resort where I liked to ski. Uh, and I thought, oh, that's that seems cool. It could be you know my challenge for this summer because I don't have the hut traverse to do here in Salt Lake. Um, so I signed up for the speed goat and then was, have always been someone who, when I want to do something, I kind of take it seriously. So I was like, okay, I have to figure out a way to prepare for this and looked a bit more into more like more scheduled training more than just like, oh, I have a free hour today. I'll run for an hour. Um, so I tried to do, you know, some long runs and, I guess it just built from there. <laughs> That's interesting. So you you signed up for pretty much your first ultra, what, as like a training run probably? No, not – oh, the – Logan Peak, the Logan I mean, Peak. 20, yeah. 28 miler. Yes, um, that was a train – yeah, more or less a training run. It was to see <laughs> what would happen. <laughs> and yeah, and also my friend was living in Logan, so it was a good excuse to go up there. It reminds me of like Hayden Hawks, like, oh yeah, I'm going to sign up for this speed goat thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't realize that it was one of the bigger races in the U.S. I think as it got closer, I kind of realized that, but um, yeah, it was cool. It was a really great experience and it's... Tell me yeah, more it about was, it. Tell, I mean, were you nervous going into it? I mean, what were your expectations I mean, yeah, I was seems definitely like really you, nervous. <laughs> were you? <laughs> yeah, I get nervous before everything, but um, I think it was more just not. I had no idea what was going to happen. I guess I had done this race in Logan, um, at the the Logan Peak Run, but um, yeah, I think I just I had no idea what to expect, and I didn't know what I would feel like, and it was hard to. Yeah, was, I, I mean, I guess it's a different kind of nervous than I have now because I, I generally know in an ultra what I'm going to feel like. But then, yeah, it was just completely unknown territory. <laughs> but I did know the the course, and I had a friend visiting who came who who had worked in the huts with me, and he was living in Denver, and he had come over to do it with me. So it was kind of fun to have him there. And yeah, it, I, I honestly don't remember a lot of details because it seems like it was so long ago, but. It was. I'm. I'm glad I did it because now I am where I am now. Yeah, I mean, middle of 2015. It, it's honestly, it's pretty incredible how. I mean, first official race you entered, you won, and then Speed Goat. I mean, was it disappointing that you didn't win? I mean, were your expectations no, no. the podium or? No, absolutely not. It was. No, did I. Did you care I mean, at all about the competitive aspect? I mean, when you're, yeah, when you're in the top 10 women, like people tell you what place you are. So it was kind of like, oh, you're, I don't know, well, I was seventh or yeah, I think. yeah. So I think people told me and I was like, oh, okay. But honestly, I really didn't, my goal was to finish and it wasn't, I wasn't thinking of running in that kind of competitive way then. And I did know that the speed goat was more competitive than the other race that I had done. So I wasn't expecting the same result <laughs> at, at black canyon 100k they're like okay rob you're in 238th spot <laughs> keep pushing you can start picking people off um, 
<laughs> so, I mean, did you catch the bug after that? Or, like, uh, how did things develop for the remainder of 2015? I'm assuming you're focused on books mo- mainly. And, I mean, getting getting a master's in geology is probably not, like, the easiest curriculum. I don't know. Like, how, uh, how did the rest... How did the rest of that year kind of develop? Um, I think after the speed goat, it was that was my challenge for the summer, and I did it, and I I checked it off, and then I went back to running, but not with any big plans. But I definitely was like, okay, this is something I want to do again next year, and maybe at that point was when I was thinking, oh, it'd be cool to do better next year um, and try to be more competitive and try to prepare more. Um, but then, yeah, going into 2016, I remember being excited about, um, doing some more races in the summer. Uh, but I had, when was, right. So I had a knee injury at the beginning of 2016. Yeah. Um, because I did the Zion Traverse as, like a fun, <laughs> a fun run, I guess. That's not, that's, for, why, I'm, not that's, with, that's why I'm talking to you. Uh. Not with any like goals of beating a time or anything. I just had heard about it and it seemed cool. Um, and I had, yeah, I had had to cancel doing another race. I was supposed to do a hundred K, but then I got this offer to move to Switzerland and I wasn't able to do the hundred K because of scheduling with that. And did the Zion Traverse kind of to fill that hole. Um, but then when I, when I decided to move to Switzerland, um, then I knew I wasn't going to be able to do any like racing that summer because I was going to be busy finishing my master's, defending, uh, moving, moving my stuff across the country, flying to Switzerland. <laughs> there was a lot to do in between that didn't leave a lot of time for running. Um, so when I got to Switzerland in the fall of 2016, that's when I was kind of starting to like think more again about uh, doing some races. And uh, I got in touch with uh, Hillary Girardi, who lives in, well, now she lives near Chamonix. Uh, but we are, we have like basically the same background from uh, Middlebury and then also from working in the same huts, but we were staggered by five years. So we, we never actually spent a lot of time together, but when I moved to Europe, we just uh, connected and we have so many overlapping friends that it kind of felt like we had already been friends before. <laughs> what, are the o- and- what, what are the odds? I mean, seriously, does she have a, a program that you're following or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, she and her, um, well, now husband were living in Grenoble at the time, and he actually worked with the same supervisor as me for our bachelor's thesis so (laughs) we have a lot of connections (laughs) yeah um but yeah it was great to be in touch with her because then she was really um encouraging about coming to visit her in grenoble and we did a vertical race together and then uh i went to another uh, sky race with her that fall um and that's where i met Germain, and then from there is when <laughs> that's when the running really picked up. So interesting. And, and so, what initially brought you over was was it school or was it a job yeah. or? Um, well, a PhD is kind of both. So it's yeah. a research position. Um, yeah. So a PhD in uh, more of the STEM fields. I, I can only speak to 
to what I do, but it's it's a mix of being a student and having a job. So I got a PhD offer at um, ETH, which is the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. And that's it's kind of like if you think of maybe a Swiss version of MIT. Um, so it's very tech-based, um, mostly engineering, and it's based in Zurich. Wow. And this is geology? Yeah, so I'm in the geology department. I just love that you're this mountain runner and you're studying geology like nobody's business. Like running to use probably, do you actually, like when you're running either a steep climb and looking around, are you in flow most of the time? Or are you like studying your, are you applying uh, your background in geology? Uh, I definitely do think about things in terms of, uh, I study, so I, the part of geology that I study more is, um, surface processes. So that's geomorphology. So it's basically why landscapes look like they do. It's more recent stuff, relatively speaking. So yeah, I do look at (laughs) things a lot actually. Um, but not all the time. And, uh, Charmant, my partner is also has a, has a background in geology. So, um, it's, it's not just me, <laughs> it's both of us, um, which is great because he knows more about the geology of the Alps than I do because I wasn't trained as a geologist here. So I can ask him questions and then it always ends, turns into us, uh, trying to translate the French geological term into the English <laughs> geological term. He <laughs> spent more time trying to translate than actual uh, conversation, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh, but I only know that type of rock in French. Uh, <laughs> look it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, I don't know. Once you get on Google, it's all downhill. Um, <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember the show with the guy, uh, with the rock collections, I can only imagine your guys' rock collections. Even though I know that I know that's yeah. not all you do, but did you check them for damage? The rocks, Hank. No, they're minerals. Jesus, Marie, I got some geodes coming that are very delicate. All right. No, yeah, I actually don't really study rocks, but uh, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sad because I've moved so much um, in the last few years that. I, my rock collection is pretty sad. It's maybe a few pebbles because I've just been like, oh, it's so heavy. I don't, maybe I'm just not a good enough geologist. I don't travel with my full collection. We, that, I've talked to the local FedEx guy. We know you're shipping all your rocks back home, all, all, your, <laughs> all your samples. So 2017, I mean, you're a great runner going into that year. It seems like things started to really blossom when you moved out to Europe? I mean, how did your training change? Yeah, 2017, that's when, so I met Sharma in the fall of 2016. And then we, I guess he, he really wanted to do the Pyramenta Ete, which is a a partner race. Um, I don't know if you know the Pyramenta, the Schemo race, um, but it's it's actually next week. Okay, it's a it's a. It's basically the UTMB of schemo. Yeah, it's wow. the best way to put it. It's wow. kind of the. It's the biggest event, like and most one of the most iconic races for schemo, and it's a four day partner race. Um, 
and they have a summer version in the summer and it's a three day partner running race. And it's very technical, um, like with via Ferrata sections, you have to wear a harness and there's a mixed category. So running, uh, one guy and one girl together. And he wanted, he asked me if I wanted to do it with him because we had met at a race. So he knew that I ran a bit and that's when I was like, okay, yeah, sure. That sounds really cool, but I don't really know how to properly prepare for this so that's when he started helping me like plan a bit and I met his coach and their court their coaching organization and joined them and that's when I I kind of got some more structure into training ideas and started training regularly and with like real goals and not just not just to go out and Obviously, every day is to go out and enjoy, but beyond that, to have kind of a goal for each day. So is it a pretty rigid plan that you're following, or is it more, I mean, is it miles? I assume you're in Europe, it's more time on your feet type work, or or how is it time on your feet? And I don't even know how you begin to, to work on schema training, obviously. How is that schedule, I should say? Yeah, we do everything by time. So Jarmal comes from more of a cycling background. So we also do a lot of cycling. Um, and we just, yeah, with Schemo, it's the same. It's time. So it's how many hours you are doing something. That's how we kind of uh, quantify training. But it's not, I mean, it's rigid in that, yeah, I have a plan and uh, I kind of have, I know what I want to do every day, usually. But it's not so rigid where like, uh, for example, yesterday, Sharmal really wanted well, his plan was to do uh, a longer trail run, but then it, there was a snowstorm. So we do take into the account that we live in the mountains. So instead, he went skiing. So it's <laughs> it's not um, like oh, I have to do this one thing. It's like okay, we know this week is kind of a bigger week, and we want to do maybe this many hours total. And if today you don't feel good, or if the weather is bad, then can shift things around it's not it's not a crazy structure <laughs> and so i mean not to like totally dive in but how long did you guys so you i assume went and skied yesterday so unfortunately i twisted my ankle or i had a ski fall two two weeks ago okay. and twisted my ankle and my knee so i've been on the indoor bike the last few days <laughs> which is sad, but today I'm going to go to the ski resort and try to ski up and take the lift down and see how my ankle does. Isn't that backwards? Don't you take the ski lift <laughs> off and then? Yeah, well, I'll have to try to, uh, it'll be a good French test for me today to explain to them <laughs> what I'm doing. <laughs> no, 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 like you actually, the resort owes you money because you're uh, going No, they there. do. They do sell pedestrian passes for people who want to, um, like walk around at the top. So it should be fine. <laughs> I can buy a pedestrian pass. So Germa is, is having, it seems like a very positive influence on you developing as an athlete. Are you getting immersed into the, you know, the local trail running culture and starting to hear about races or like, how are you selecting probably, <laughs> At the most competitive races on the planet are you picking you, them is he picking them are you guys like having glass of wine and figuring out your race schedule for the year like how 
Uh, do you mean like in 2017 when we were? Yeah, in? I mean, yeah. From when um, you moved over, I mean, you've done, I would say, not all of the best races, but it's up there. <laughs> yeah, I think when in 2017, I mean, we definitely talked about. Um, I mean, we talk a lot about running, obviously, since we both do it a lot and often together. So we both wanted to do longer races, um, but neither of us had an extensive background in trail running. So uh, I think we made kind of a, I, I think it was a smart progression. Um, we talked to our coach about, um, so we did some shorter ultras in 2017 so more like 50k and some sky races Tem- more around like templiers f- like <laughs> Templier. oh yeah that was actually so yeah Templier we did at the end of 2017 because um i didn't have enough points for ccc for the next year no kidding so that was huh. the main reason behind that but the, in the end i really enjoyed that race um i went into it not thinking i would because it's notoriously not a mountain race it's very runnable like yeah running almost the entire time it's yeah really clean trails i would say more american style <laughs> um be nice <laughs> no no i mean i, I i'm, I'm kidding i'm kidding, at I'm all. kidding. <laughs> but yeah I, I didn't really have any expectations it was more like oh i really want the points for ccc and then um in the end i really enjoyed that race it has a really cool scene around it and I had a really fun day there, but it's on my anyway, list. Yeah. it's October. So that's the only, it's, it's going up against Moab 240 with me and I, I have to make it out there at some point. <laughs> it's a it pretty different amazing. distance. <laughs> very different. Very different. Uh, ti- if you include time on the airplane, I think it's about equivalent. Oh, um, maybe. Yeah. No, it's still not. <laughs> that's true. Um, and so you, you ended up, so your goal of 18 was to get into a UTMB race. And yeah, so seventeen so Jean- was get some points, and then yeah, seventeen was like that was my first summer of really racing in Europe. So I didn't hadn't been to any race before. So every race was like I didn't. Yeah, it was more seeing everything and seeing the scene and seeing what I could do. And I think a really important part of that summer was both the Pyramenta and Trans Rockies that I did with Charmel. We ran both of those as a partner race together. And he, I think what's really interesting about partner races, especially if you're the already the weakest person on the team, <laughs> say the le- the less strong person. <laughs> um, yeah, running with him, he really he really knew. My, I think he knew my limits better than I did at that point. So he was able to like help me push myself to a point that I didn't know I could. And I think that really helped me with my racing i think before that i i was fit and kind of knew how to run on trails but didn't really know how to push myself competitively um and so that was a a big part i think of me getting better at racing (laughs) (laughs) was running with him that's awesome yeah and again so throughout you did the partner you did trans rockies was that 18 or was that Uh, 17 that was 17 okay Yes, yeah, 2017. So we did the Pyramenta, and then we did a a few weeks in the U.S. and went to Trans Rockies. Sorry if this is a little scattershot. I just I could talk to you about Madeira, like Island, for a whole episode. I mean, it seems like you guys really like that race. You've done it twice. You've done incredibly well. 
who's who's picking that race? Is that yours or you so guys we both actually, agree? Yeah, we we both love Madeira. We kind of ended up there by accident the first year. Um, we were kind of last minute looking for a, a race in April, and we're like, oh, we have two friends going there. That seems really cool. But we didn't do the the I would say the real race. We did the eighty five k, which is definitely a real distance, but uh, it's less competitive generally than the the 115 which is what i did last year um so we both did the 85k version of the of the madeira ultra in 2018 um and we just really really loved the island and we loved the race organization um the race the head race organizer sidonio um he's really great and yeah, we just we had such a great experience that we wanted to go back for the the 115. And then we so we did <laughs> last summer and or last spring and we'll be there again in I guess a few weeks now. I so mean, we're kind of kind of addicted to Madeira, I guess. <laughs> I, I again, it's like a dream race. I've been on Expedia. I saw the four flights it would take me to get out there. And they only like fly it, every other day there or something to that effect it's a tiny island it's off like um, it's off the coast of portugal yeah, yeah. but yeah. they they definitely fly multiple times a day but maybe just with your your flight connections from the u.s but i would highly recommend it um it's not only is madeira beautiful the race is beautiful the organization is amazing um and there's this really delicious bread <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard someone talk about that bread honestly i'm already looking forward to it <laughs> it's just a bread, it's just a bread trip for me um yeah <laughs> no no like, race no race i'm not here for the race i'll just uh, sit and eat the, the bread <laughs> <laughs> um and then so you did this race this is the one i actually want to hear more about you did the maxi race in 2018 in Europe, I feel like everyone knows about this race. In the U.S., maybe I'm just naive. I don't know much about this, but this is a big race. Is, am I off on that? Or No, yeah, it's it's a huge event. Um, it's in NC, which NC is kind of... Uh, it's kind of the center of... It's where all the brands are based, basically. Okay. <laughs> where all the outdoor brands are based. So there's a lot of talk around the race and they are, the event is yeah well organized and um, they're able to get a lot of high level athletes there every year. Um, and there's a bunch of different races there actually. So, um, and the 85 K, which is what we did in 2018, I think is at least originally was kind of the, you know, the, the highlight race, but now there's, yeah, there's high level athletes at like every, almost every race. I think um, there's kind of something for everyone. It's and it's I would say it's kind of the first big trail running festival of the year in France. So it gets a ton of French runners, but NC also isn't so far from the airport in Geneva. So they get international athletes, and the brands often bring some of their athletes. And yeah, it turns into a really big event. I'm not sure why. It isn't as known in the U.S., but it's definitely a really big event in France. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, in 2018, I mean, you you did pretty well. 
Like, what was that experience like? And these are races. So she says 85K, but it has, what, 15,000 feet of gain? How many meters? 5,000 meters. 5,300, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess around 15,000 feet. Yeah. The maxi race was really cool. It was kind of, well, I guess we had just been to Madeira a few months before, but it was kind of my first big non-partner race win. (laughs) And against some other pretty competitive French ladies. And so that was kind of cool for me to see, like, I think it gave me a bit more confidence and kind of put into perspective where I was at in terms of my shape and what I could do. And also Charmal won on the same day. So it was kind of a big moment for us where we were like, wow, this is super cool to be doing the same race. Like, both finish well (laughs) um yeah it's cool to be able to share that at the end your poor trophy case at home it's like it's like (laughs) duplicates (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's like same medals same belt buckles same everything (laughs) that's true actually (laughs) and so is all of this leading into your goal of ccc or a utmb race um in 2018 yeah Yeah. uh i guess the goal i mean i guess the goal every year is really a utmb race i mean it's the culmination of everything and it's the the deepest field so that's where you want to show your best right (laughs) that's Um, i always peek out for utmb you know me um (laughs) nobody as jarmal says nobody uses utmb as a training race (laughs) (laughs) How did you pick CCC out of the four well, or five point, options? That's, you know? that's the only race I had points for. <laughs> I guess I could have done OCC, but I yeah. I feel like I knowing how I like to run and the types of terrain I like, I really like this more 100K-ish distance. You like the easy uh, ones, too, it seems like. Oh. The easy ones? Yeah. <laughs> they're mind blow every single race you do is mind-blowing honestly like the amount of dirt that you're doing is serious mountain climbing it's yeah it's just it's different right i mean it's hard to explain to people when i see races like (laughs) when i see races like the north face or more runnable or like western states i'm like oh my god that seems so hard you have to run the whole time (laughs) so it's really just perspective i think (laughs) you're a true mountain runner um in 2018 ccc it got a little muddy i i was at that start line it was rerouted that year so we got to go through some like seriously gnarly rocks and roots I mean, oh how- at the tete Vong, at the end you mean yes yeah yeah how how did the race go for you uh great i remember feeling really great <laughs> that whole day um I think I was really happy because it wasn't hot. It was kind of, I don't know if you remember, it was kind of like misty and cold the whole time. Yeah. 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 That's like my ideal running weather. So, (laughs) so that was great. I'm trying to remember the big second climb. We were running through a cloud basically. Um, To the Col Ferre maybe? Yeah. 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 I remember it was cold there and I was debating whether I should put on a jacket and everyone was telling me like, oh, you need to put your jacket on. And I was like, no, this is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> this, is my, this is my temperature. <laughs> yeah, don't stop at the top and put on a jacket. Uh, it's going to get better as you des- descend. 
I mean, tell me more about that race. It's arguably the most competitive 100K in the entire world. You show up and just throw down. I mean, I, I got to hear more about how the race went for you. Oof, man. Talk I about feel a like... nerve-wracking start. <laughs> I mean, you got a helicopter up there. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, honestly, a lot... Well, not every race has a helicopter, but... A lot of races in Europe are like very have very large starts, so that wasn't like out of the ordinary. I mean, it's definitely bigger than normal (laughs) because UTMB is the biggest of them all. But for me, it was. I think the good thing is that I don't remember anything in too much detail because it it went by really fast in my memory, which I think speaks to how good I felt that day. But yeah, I remember being really nervous because I didn't really, I mean, it was going to be my longest race and I knew there was a ton of strong women at the start line. And, but again, it it is cool to, to be at the start line with both your partner and your training partner. And it feels less like, okay, I'm just standing here alone when you're, when you're sharing it with someone who understands what you're doing and understands like everything you put into it and yeah yeah it's it feels like kind of so a you team. guys you guys actually could line up next to each other at yeah the start. We, we have yeah we're on we're always at the start line together my my world ranking of 150 thousandth put me in a few corrals behind you guys um <laughs> if i didn't get caught up in that line i'd probably have been running right next to you um oh i'm sorry <laughs> It's it's hard at those races when everyone whips out their poles and then you're in the middle of it all. Oh, it's dangerous back there in the middle of the pack. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> so, do you guys actually team up and like run together per se, like for the first few miles? Are you able to? No, 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 no. You just no, do no. your own thing. You do your own thing. No, Sharma always is at the front, so like mm-hmm. the actual front. <laughs> so he goes first. <laughs> But we'll like, you know, be next to each other for the first 50 meters, you know, (laughs) but then no, no, no. We'll usually stand at the start line together, but I don't try to chase the men as they do their opening, you know, 400 meter sprint. So yeah, you got to get that five minute mile out of the way. And then (laughs) I know, I don't know what they're thinking going up the mountain. Um, (laughs) And so you said the race felt like pretty good throughout the entire time like were there were there um, any low points at all i'm sure there were but i think when you end a race on a good note it somehow deletes all of those points (laughs) (laughs) so yeah no i i honestly felt really good um I mean, the normal, the normal feeling of feeling horrible, but, you know, good on top of it. <laughs> um, no, I remember, I mean, the only real memories I have are I was running with Anne-Lise Rousset, who's a really strong French runner, and we ran together for a while um, between, you know, the Bertone, Bernardi kind of, it's flat-ish, <laughs> um, and then towards the Col Ferret, and that's kind of where we yeah. split apart. But, yeah, it was cool to run with her for a bit. It's not so common to get to run with another female during during an ultra, so I remember that was cool. And then... There were not yeah, and then many I, females <laughs> at CCC. Like it's, Sorry? It, I was shocked at the... There was probably maybe one female out of 20 runners. 
Oh, just in general. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, um, I think in the U S there's a better proportion of females and males running for my ultras. Li- limited, like my sample size is CCC. So I don't, okay. Um, <laughs> I can't make any kind of, you know, mass comment on that, but it seemed like it was very, very low compared to what I was accustomed to. Yeah. I, I think that's true. There aren't, yeah, I mean, I I don't have the data, so I can't make any conclusions. But there aren't a ton of women in general. Why Why is that the case in Europe? I mean, you're hitting up all the major races in Europe. Why Why aren't there more female ultra runners? Uh, I mean, I think at the high level there are. Like, I I don't know. Uh, there are definitely a ton of really high level female runners in Europe. Um, but it's more the kind of the middle pack maybe mm-hmm. that that's lacking. Um, and I don't know if that's just because people feel like, Oh, if I'm not, you know, if I'm not like a, the front, then I don't really care about racing. I'll just do my own thing. Or there's definitely plenty of women, but I'm not, I would have to look at the data to see, uh, to see what the statistics are on, on the ratio in the U S and in Europe. Cool. No, I respect that. And so how was it going up and down those bri- those metal bridges in, um, in seeing the finish line of CCC? Oh, I was like metal bridges. Yeah. Over the road. Um, I mean, I had been running in the same position for most of the day, so it wasn't like a, a oh my God, I'm, I'm going to be second. It was like, okay, I've been second for like nine hours. So <laughs> I'm still in the <laughs> Let's same get this position. Over. <laughs> <laughs> but no, still, obviously that finish line is like very emotional because they're playing like emotional music and <laughs> there's lots of people. And, um, were I think, you, were you emotional? Yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> you're emotional at the end of any like long race right just because your body is falling apart but a lot of times i'm not honestly oh really i I don't i don't have the energy nor the (laughs) nor the tear ducts or just totally dehydrated but no i I literally don't have the energy a lot of times yeah i think i think for ccc i was more emotional because i had heard that charmal was fifth and that was like amazing for him and then I had also done well and it was kind of when when I finally like saw him at the finish line that's kind of when I I felt emotional but I don't often get that emotional like <laughs> while I'm running towards the finish line I'm like oh thank god I can like sit down in a minute um but yeah seeing him was great and I think we that summer especially we had like we're, we had run a lot together and we yeah, just I think just in general, when you see the person who like knows everything you did and knows all the work you put in and, and vice versa, then it's it's really satisfying, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they, they know what you've overcome, too. Yeah, exactly. What was immediately what like what did you guys do afterwards? Was it hit the local coffee shop there? Because. <laughs> oh, man. So unfortunately, because Sharma has to wait for me at, at these finish lines, he's usually like on the verge of hypothermia, <laughs> especially that day, because it was cold, as you remember, and it was raining, I think, when I finished. 
And uh, his parents, when they had first come to watch him finish, were so excited about him finishing in fifth <laughs> that they forgot to like bring his warm clothes to the finish line. So <laughs> he was very cold. They eventually got his stuff, but he had been cold for a while. And we went to go get pizza because obviously that's what you want when you finish your race. And we had the best pizza place in Chamonix is pretty close to the finish line. So we, we kind of like hobbled over to the pizza place in our like disgusting clothes. And when we got to the door, Sharmal asked like, Oh, can we order two takeaway pizzas? And the guy just kind of stared at us and was like, Oh, sorry. We, we just, turned off the pizza oven actually oh. <laughs> oh no so yeah so apparently i didn't run fast enough for my pizza <laughs> but um a 12 yeah. a twelve twenty eight. you're you're only like seven and a half hours quicker than me <laughs> but maybe they had already turned it back on when you had finished that's that was my logic that was yeah, totally my see, logic. You were smart in the end. <laughs> so were you more emotional when the guy told you the, the, yeah, the I mean, different I emotion? <laughs> I was shedding some tears, I'll, I'll be honest. It was uh, pretty sad. <laughs> Pizza tears. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, definitely. I mean... If you envision your for like a, a few hours and then someone tells you you can't have it, it's it's pretty tough. Oh, that's a good story. That's a really good story. And it's amazing. You, so you took second place and he took fifth place at the most competitive 100K pretty much in the world. And it's yeah, on, it, it actually day. sounds kind of miserable up front there without your pizza. <laughs> I know. It's a hard life, right? <laughs> So after getting a taste of that race, I mean, were you already planning on UTMB the following year? Yeah, that's I'm not sure when I came when I, that was my idea, but yeah, I'd always wanted to do UTMB. So that was naturally the next step, right? <laughs> In distance, I would skip TDS, I guess. Um, but yeah, so UTMB was the plan for the next year. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm not going to go through every race that you did in progression. I do want to ask you about one and one here in a few minutes, but Mont Blanc Marathon, you did incredibly well. Tell me about that race. I've seen guys like Sage go out and do that race like within the U.S. realm. I mean, it's not, it's not as well known in the States. I mean, tell me more about that race selection and, and that race overall. I think it's mid-June or late June. Yeah, it's late June, but I'll just note that the there's a few races at the Marathon du Mont Blanc. So the oh, race okay. that you might be thinking of that like Sage would have done would be the marathon itself, which is 42K. Okay. Um, and then there's also the 90K, which is what um, I did this summer. So Why did a, you pick that one? So the Marathon du Mont Blanc is, again, another huge Fre- French race. Uh, trail race but also not just french i mean it gets a huge international audience every year too i don't have you ever been you said you hadn't been for for that race right no no not yet it's i can't remember the numbers but it brings close to the same number of people as utmb to chamonix so amazing it's it's a huge june yeah it's the end of june early july yeah 
yeah so it's a it's a huge scene um it's competitive every year it's again like this the type of race that if I only had one choice would would be like my favorite type so like steep and around yeah 100k that's 90k so we had done Madeira and then we wanted to do this uh the marathon du mont blanc 90k and then utmb and that was our three three like target races of the summer mm-hmm. um yeah it was just i'd always known about it it's a competitive it's yeah in general you'll see the theme is that we like to choose competitive races so it was a competitive race it's not so far from here so yeah i was interested in in seeing how it would go interesting and then so you find yourself at the start of UTMB, the big race, 106 miles, I want to say it is. Um, I mean, how were you feeling in 19 compared to the start of CCC? Like you you knew, you know, three-fourths of the course mostly. Um, had, had you run the rem- – you know, the, the other parts of the UTMB course, like, were you really familiar with the course at that point when you hit the start line? No, I didn't know from the start until the CCC course. Okay. Cause you live pretty close. Yeah. What, well, I mean, it's, um, maybe not, five or six well, hours by American standards. Yeah. We're <laughs> sorry. I have to adjust my driving standards. Yeah. <laughs> by American standards, we're not that we're not that far. You can um, technically go to Shami pretty <laughs> much every day if you really wanted to. Yeah, if you really wanted to. Not in the winter because uh, yeah, our cool. valley is a dead end in, in the winter, so we can't drive over the pass. So in the winter, it's very long to get there. Um, in the summer, if we, yeah, it's four and a half hours, maybe five from here. Yeah. So, but I mean, yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that part. Were, were you concerned at all at the start, like knowing? knowing what you're in, in store for or, or like, how were you feeling? Cause this was going to be probably one of the longer races you've ever done. I mean, yeah, it was the longest, it would, it was my longest race ever. <laughs> so before that, the longest had been Madeira, which was like seven or how many hours was that? Six, uh, can't even remember, but yeah, significantly longer than Madeira and, um, definitely the longest race I'd ever done. So I was pretty nervous about, yeah, I just, you know, you don't, <laughs> it's hard to talk about pacing in an ultra cause you're not like looking at your watch for a pace in most instances, but some, I didn't really, some people are. <laughs> yeah, maybe if it's kind of flat or, yeah, <laughs> but American. yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what it was going to be like to do a full night to go from the evening through the night, then have it be day again i'd never done that the closest i'd done was the midnight start at madeira um yeah there was a lot of unknown and there was a lot of really strong women around me and uh were you intimidated overall like or were you confident uh i think confidence is something that i try to work on more and more as i build experience um i was confident in that like I knew that I could finish, um, and I knew I could do okay. I, I knew I could do like not okay. I could do well if things went well, and I kind of stuck to to what I knew. Um, so I knew that was possible, but I also didn't wanted to be like humble about 
this being my first hundred mile race and my first UTMB. And so I didn't really know. I was obviously <clears throat> pretty nervous and unsure, but trying to, I think it's important to try to remember like the things you've done in the past, even if they aren't exactly the same, but yeah, that's the great thing about ultras. If you don't go in humble about the distance, they'll quickly remind you and put you in your place naturally. It works out like that every time, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think that's a good way to go into a race of that distance and that amount of climb. It's almost 30,000 feet of climbing. Did you have poles at all for UTMB? I have never raced with poles. Do you think you will in the future after running UTMB? Or? <laughs> yeah. Um I'm going to, we're both going to use poles, um, this summer for, at least for UTMB. We have, I, we'll use them for, for all of our races this summer. I think I, I'm just thinking of like all the super high caliber UTMB runners. And I can't imagine that race without poles personally. It's just kind of like how I do things, but how did the start of the race go for you? I remember being like still really nervous during the beginning because I was like, wow, it seems like we're running really fast. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, it's, it's a super or, fast. Have you done UTMB? Sorry. No, no I, I am the shooter. CCC. Okay. Oh, great. Cool. Yeah. Um, I'll see you there. Watch um, out. Watch <laughs> yeah, out. World, world ranking 146,000th coming for you. Yeah, uh, you can. Get you should p- do like the start, you know, be one of those people who like does I, the start and then all out. It'll be a video. Be yeah. <laughs> yeah. One mile of bliss. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the start's pretty fast. It's pretty runnable. Um, well, yeah, it's especially runnable. So that was kind of like, oh, hmm, this seems like we're running a lot. <laughs> how, how many miles but, of runnable? Uh, I mean, I would say that most of the race is runnable um, because the trails are pretty buffed out. And it's just that you, when you get to the later part of the race, you've already run so much that you can't really, most people can't run anymore. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's pretty flat until, uh, until Les Uches, I guess. So that's how many, that's 8K. Is it only 8K there? I don't know. Um, I think it's 8 or 10K. Um, but yeah, it's, there's a lot of runnable sections, especially at the beginning, like kind of on dirt roads and really smooth kind of flattish trails. Um, but yeah, I was trying, it's hard because there's so many, there's so many people cheering, which is great. And it really gets you super excited. But then I felt like I maybe was pushing to, or trying to go faster than I should have because there's so many people screaming at you. (laughs) Um, and then all of a sudden that ends and it's just dark and quiet and you're <laughs> it's, in the woods a, it's a pretty yourself. big contrast yeah, yeah yeah exactly but yeah the night was difficult for me that's when I started not feeling great and trying to figure out like okay what are we gonna do here <laughs> how am I gonna deal with this um and when what section did you hit at night like um, when did when did it first get I, it got dark. dark around Lake Contamine. That's when I took my real headlamp. So, yeah, Lake Contamine to, I mean, and then you're in the dark until above Cormier, or I was in the dark until above Cormier. How how were you fueling during this race? 
in, in most of your races, I mean, are you are you taking gels? Are you using real food? I mean, kind of what's your, what are you doing during I mean, this race? Yeah, I don't have like, um, like a set thing right now. Um, I kind of, I don't want to say it's like super haphazard because I do think about what I'm bringing and like the amount of time I'm going to spend and how many like bars or whatever I'm going to eat, I pack. Um, but I don't take gels. Um, I actually, no, I took like one gel during a 30 K race last year. That's the last time I can think big that. Mis- I took, yeah. Big mistake, right? Took good no. gel. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't really like in general. I don't really take gels. I don't first. I just think like the whole texture is weird <laughs> and then it, it just feels like too much sugar for something that you're when you're going to be running for more than 20 hours um but yeah i try to do like we have kind of like fruit compote at the end um and then i have like cookies and different bars um this year i'm excited because we're partnering with meltonic which is a it's a french honey brand or honey nutrition brand, sports nutrition. So they have some really great bars and they have some gels that um, maybe I'll try because it's more just honey and not um, like whatever else is normally in gels. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I try to mix it up. And then I, I do like to take a lot of the stuff from aid stations and at UTMB, it's cool that you, you can have assistance a few times. So then I can take, I don't know, what did I have last year? I had some like muffins and brownies at, from my crew. Oh, actually the best part of UTMB last year was I had packed one cup of noodles for uh Cormier because I knew it would be the middle of the night and my my crew made me this like hot cup of noodles which I originally had planned like oh I'm not going to have time I'm going to come in the aid station so fast like <laughs> I don't have any time for that. And then and I ended up sitting yeah picnic bench for like (laughs) exactly five minutes at least yeah so then i was sitting there eating the noodles and then i had trouble eating and my crew uh she she was great she went and bought a bunch of cup of noodles at random stores i don't even know where while i was running it was great though (laughs) yeah but it was just like broth so the noodles were the important part for me and she had them at every aid station after that for me which and then it was you were great just because running for noodles pretty much. Yeah, exactly. I had so much trouble eating anything else that I was just like waiting to get to my noodles every time. So I think I'm going to have to incorporate that more in the future. <laughs> I mean, perfect Instagram handle too. I mean, there's always a running <laughs> for something. <laughs> I honestly, pizza tears is probably up there too. But, um, so are you, are you eating uh, like on a serious note, are you eating probably every 30 minutes just because this is a race with 30,000 feet of gain. That's not normal. And normally the more climbing that's in a race, the more calories you need to take for you. This is all normal. Cause all your races have that profile, but like, are you like nibbling on stuff constantly? Like every 10 minutes, every 15, 20, 30 I think I always try <laughs> the the plan is to always like eat every 20 or 30 minutes. Okay. But in practice, I don't think I've ever had a race where I actually am like, oh, it's been 20 minutes. I should eat again. It's more like at the beginning of the race, maybe the first two or three hours. I'm like, oh, yeah, great. Look at me. I'm doing so well eating every 20 minutes. 
and that's easy for me at the beginning of the race because I'm really, um, I would say I'm pretty talented at eating. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's one of my talents. So that's always fine. And then something, I don't even know, but (laughs) you know, then it becomes like this haze in your head and you're not really sure when the last 20 minutes was. And then at that point I just try to like eat as much as I can, which in the past has been easier. It's been getting more difficult. I don't know if it's because my races have been getting longer and it's been changing how my body reacts. By the end, Um, you're like noodles, like screw noodles. Yeah. Like who invented noodles? (laughs) I don't like you. Like it gets bad. (laughs) I feel like every race I have like a different palette for what I want. And so I think just being open to being like, okay, it's fine that I don't want to eat this bar that I packed right now. Like, I can eat this other thing or I know there's an aid station in like 10 minutes and I'm just going to like make myself eat something there. Even I, if it's something I wouldn't normally eat. Like how I, I have a pretty strong stomach. So I think I can kind of, in general, I can kind of grab things and hope for the best. Well, that leads me to like, have you thrown up during the race? No. Okay. So you have an iron stomach pretty much. How are you doing? I haven't, but, yeah, I haven't thrown up, but I've felt pretty sick. Not sick, more like stomach pains. How, um, so you've thrown up in your stomach, basically. (laughs) Um, it never came up. Um, how are you doing hydration? Are you balancing Um, electrolytes or are you just sipping on water? Uh, no, we use a sport, like a, an electrolyte drink. Um, and then, yeah, well, I think just about all the time we have the, I have the sport, like a, some type of electrolyte drink. Um, and then towards the end, I'll try to take some Coke or, or if I like in UTMB, I've really was having trouble. I was at the point where I was like force feeding myself because I was like, I have to eat or I'm going to like, this isn't going to work out. And normally I don't want Coke in the middle of the race because I don't want any of these like sugar highs in the middle. But I took Coke way earlier than I wanted to at UTMB because it's like, okay, I know there's sugar in that and I can, I can work with that. Yeah. When all else fails, some Coca-Cola classic sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. What it takes. And I always forget, um, you probably don't use the word bonk very often because it has a little bit different meaning, uh, in Europe, I believe I'm trying to remember. Um, I don't, okay. I don't know. I, People just in French, they would just say they had like a uh, hypoglycemia. Oh, interesting. Which um, is like more specific, I guess. <laughs> it's like very scientific. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so was, did you get comfortable knowing the trails that you were up against having raced it last year with such, or two years ago with such success that UTMB this year, like you kind of knew what you're in store for? Yeah, I mean, I knew the trails. Um, it's just that the climbs don't feel quite the same when you yeah. when you add the extra yeah. like sixty k before seventy k. Oh. Um, yeah, the things that didn't feel so long in CCC felt much longer at UTMB. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, I'm just thinking like you spent more than twice the amount of time for that additional mileage that was less comparing ccc to utmb how did how did the uh streets of chamonix feel when you'd finally made it down there um 
Well, I guess having <laughs> finishing second at CCC during like a time of day when people are actually on the streets. I actually don't remember what time I finished UTMB, but it wasn't as for me, it was one, like a little bit more disappointing because I knew that if it had been a better day, I could have done better. And I also didn't have like great feelings the whole day. So it was more like a relief, like, uh, okay, I'm glad I can kind of put this behind me now. Like this wasn't so was it a the bad, day that I wanted. So it, was it wasn't a, bad, a bad, it was bad race. No, no, no. I don't, uh, it was a learning race. <laughs> it was the longest time you've ever spent on your feet. I mean, yeah, exactly. So I think I had a lot of mixed feelings. I was really proud of myself because it was kind of the worst I'd ever felt in a race before. And I was able to like, accept that and try to problem solve during the race and fix it and like figure out what I could eat and what I wanted to eat and yeah, figure out how to deal with how I was feeling and ultimately finish and finish like pretty well, um, in, in the rankings, I guess overall, but, but in the back of my, (laughs) yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think, I'm really proud of myself for that performance, but I also, you know, we, <laughs> I think as, as athletes, you're always like, uh, but what could I have done better? Like, uh, maybe I could have done better. Um, so it's kind of like silencing that side for a little while while you're finishing, like, you know, reminding yourself you, you did do like a great thing. And, um, for me, it was, the finish was cool because there was a bunch of people that I knew who were like kind of at the finish line and it's people that I just met in since I moved to Europe. And I think sometimes when I'm here, I, I feel kind well, not all the time, but sometimes I feel like, Oh, it's, it's hard because I don't speak French fluently. So it's hard for me to connect with people and um, have the same types of friendships that I had in the U S. But then when you are in this kind of like dead emotional state and you see like 10 people who are there only because you are finishing and, you just like, I just kind of met them in the last three years at that point. It was like kind of a big reminder to me, like, Oh, you know, you do have a community here, even though you might not feel like it sometimes because it's a bit, it's slightly more isolating when you can't like just go randomly talk to everyone about everything. <laughs> easily. Yeah. No, that has to be difficult. Yeah. So um, that was cool for me to like see all these people who, it was like a reminder, like, oh, all these people do care about you and they're here to watch you finish, like, kind of in the middle of the night. So, so in, I, when I finished CCC, I was so far behind you that I finished dead of night. I think it was like 2 a.m. or something. And it was not uh, what you see on TV. <laughs> you know, there weren't people lining the streets and stuff. But, uh, you know, I was fine with that. And so you, it sounds like you had a similar experience as weird as that is for UTMB's finish. Like it was kind of dead at night. Was Sharma there? Was he wearing a coat? Most importantly, did someone bring him a coat or was the so guy the, shivering? <laughs> the best story about the UTMB finish line is that I walked across the line and I, every time I finish, I like go to look for Sharma to give him a hug and like see how he did if I hadn't heard his news recently um, because normally people like tell me things on the course how he's doing um, so I knew that he had finished he so he tied um, for ninth um, with a Spanish guy Javier and so I knew he had finished ninth and 
I was really excited to see him because it sounded like he had this great day at the race. And I crossed the line and someone came up to me and they were like, I forget. It was someone I knew was like, oh, uh, Charmal's coming. Don't worry. Like, he'll be here. And I was like, what? Oh, that's weird. Maybe he was like on the street and I didn't see him. Um, But actually, they were just kind of like lying to me, I guess, (laughs) because then finally someone told me like, oh, Charmal actually like he felt really sick at the finish line. So he he had to go like they made him go to the medical tent as they should like, you know, um, and then they kind of sent him home. They told him he needed to like go home and lay down because he, I mean, after you run that far, you feel pretty bad. He had made a top 10 at UTMB. You're yeah. not allowed to walk around. <laughs> so, so they sent him home. So he actually wasn't there. He was watching me on the live feed. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, did he call the pizza place for you? Um, <laughs> no, his, his mom did order us pizza. <laughs> so okay. she saved the day. <laughs> But yeah, so it was funny because he wasn't there. And then I was kind of sitting there and was also exhausted. And then the same thing happened to me where all of a sudden I felt like really sick and went to the same medical tent. (laughs) And his dad was with me. And um, so his dad called his mom and I heard them say her say on the phone, like, oh, not again. (laughs) (laughs) Now we have two like people who need to be shuttled around. (laughs) So we had the same thing happen to us, (laughs) but there was pizza. So it was okay. I mean, most importantly. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And so you took sixth. he took tied for ninth. Um, I'm noticing that you always seem to outdo him. Is that because you you get like kind of a heads up on like he's in ninth, so you like gun it to try to uh leapfrog <laughs> to make sure that you beat him? Are you guys does he give you crap? Do you give him crap? I mean, you took second at CCC, he was fifth. You're always a few spots ahead of him on the um, on the podium. Yeah, I mean in all honesty it's I think it's easy to to know that the men's field is at this point in time, it's more competitive than the women's. So um, it's hard to compare places like that because we know that like there's, as we said, there's more men at the start line than women. So maybe percentage wise, we finish around the same. Um, But yeah, no, I, I think what you said about like hearing how he's doing, it does give me a lot of motivation in, in both ways during a race. So if I hear he's doing well, then I'm like, oh, that's great. Okay, Jarmo's doing well. Like, I can do well. Like, but then if I hear he's not doing well, then then it's also motivation because we do kind of approach races kind of in like a team way, which I think is rare because even if I have a female friend racing and I want them to do well, in the end, I'm still racing her. But with him, like, I'm not racing him. So I can legitimately want him to do well, you know? So if he's not doing well, then I feel like, you know, okay, today's the day where I need to like pull my weight and, and do it for like our team. Okay. Um, Interesting. That's a really yeah, good so, approach. Like, it's cool because if after a race, like after UTMB on like six plays at UTMB is really, I mean, I know that that's a really great performance and I'm really happy for that. But in the end, I didn't feel like super, super great personally about my day. But knowing that Sharma had this like amazing race and did super well, it kind of helps balance things. Or like if he didn't do well and I did, then 
it also, you know, the next day it's like, okay, we can be like happy about this. And it doesn't necessarily have to be about me. It can be like happy about something he did, or he can be happy about something I did. And it helps, I think it helps neutralize things if something doesn't go perfectly. Yeah, totally. Um, so for UTMB next year, what, what changes are in the back of your mind? Like what, what can you improve upon for this year, for 2020? Uh, I think just knowing that I've finished already is a huge, like confidence boost at the start line. Like knowing like, okay, I can finish a hundred mile race. Um, knowing generally just like knowing like, okay, it, this part is hard and I know if I can get through this part, then the next part is better. Um, and knowing that I felt that I had some moments last year where I felt really, really bad and I was still able to finish and like move past that and kind of accepting like, okay, you're going to feel really bad sometimes. And then you just need to know that that's going to happen. Um, so yeah, more mental things, I think. Um, but then also, as you mentioned, the polls, <laughs> I think that will help a lot this year. And, um, also in ultras, I think you can talk a lot about like training and doing some special training to prepare for something. But in the end, it's just the number of hours you've done in the last, I don't know, in your life really for something that long. So every year you, you have more training behind you and that makes you stronger. So every year, everyone is in general better and more experienced. So yeah, no, that's awesome. And thank you for taking so much time. I got one or two more questions, mainly around pizza and crying. No, um, <laughs> uh, I, I think the hut traverse has been talked about. I mean, can I just have a brief, like kind of the one Oh one of what you did there? Cause that was a really cool FKT, if I'm not mistaken. And I mean, there's a whole podcast that I believe Buzz did with you on the Hut Traverse, and there's a film on it. So I didn't want to overly focus on it, but I didn't want to skip over it, obviously. What was that FKT that um, you accomplished? Yeah, so as uh, we talked about earlier, the huts, there's eight huts, and um, to to hike from the first to the last is around 50 miles and 15,000 feet of elevation gain. I know that one in feet actually, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's super technical. Like these are not like West coast trails. They're East coast, um, ro rocks, routes, like very, uh, non runnable. Um, and I had done it three times when I had worked in the huts. Um, but more just to finish and I'd done it with some friends and it was a big challenge and you, it was cool because every few hours you ended up at the next hut where five of your friends worked. So you would, it would kind of be like a small party. You can think of the huts as like maybe an aid station during a race where there's five people <laughs> waiting yeah. for you. And like, uh, we also radio. So they would radio ahead like, Oh, Katie wants like a pancake at the next hut, you know? So that was really cool. But then to come back and do it as someone who didn't work in the huts was a little bit different um, because I didn't know anyone working um, in the huts themselves. So it was, well, it was a bit easier to go faster because I didn't have people to distract me <laughs> at every hut. Um, but originally it was, uh, Jarmo and I had traveled to the whites um, 
a few, I guess before trans Rockies in 2017. And he really like at first was kind of skeptical about the whites because they're not like huge mountains, but he quickly really liked the community and the trails and like seeing how important that place was to me and how, and like how I came into the sport and came into being really into, into mountains and running and geology also. So he was really excited to do the hut traverse and he was like, well, why don't we do it together? But we can try to do the fastest women's time, um, which has been passed around a bunch actually, um, between other speedy hut girls and some other local women. So yeah, this summer we went back and did it uh, really fast (laughs) and he got to see all the huts in one day, which was great. (laughs) Good tourist opportunity. (laughs) No better way to, to go check out an area than by foot and on trail, honestly. Yeah. I think what was cool is he didn't, he didn't know almost the entire (laughs) route. So even though I was the one like suffering way more than him, I was the one like directing like, okay, now we have to take a right. Oh, I'm dying. (laughs) (laughs) Like, um, and it was cool because every hut we got to, he, he had only seen, I think two of the huts before. So it was kind of like, it was more than like, Oh, we're back at, you know, Galehead, like I've been here a million times. It was like, Oh, we're going to be at Galehead. And then, you know, one summer, my friend um, was working here and we did this and it kind of brought up some stories and you're, it made the, you're reminiscing the, the whole time. You're not even that, that <laughs> well, focused I mean, on reminiscing in between, like you, <laughs> trying to move fast. You're like, Oh, this, this climbs nothing. I don't have 50 pounds of broccoli on my back. So <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, again, check out the YouTube video there. And then I wanted to ask about one in one. Is this a run camp that you guys put together or what? Is it a race? How, how does this work? So the one in one run to camp is a partner race, a two day partner race with a, a camp out night in between the two stages. And it's located on the French Riviera, um, just close to, to Nice. So very close to the Nice airport. Um, so for all of you Americans who want to come have a French Riviera spring break, um, can join us. We had Cody Reed and Jeff Colt there last year were our special American guests. Um, but we have some other Americans this year, um, Hillary Allen, Mike Ambrose, um, Alex Earl, some other, um, American expats in the area. Um, yeah, it's going to be really great this year last year was the first edition and it's a race organized by Jarmont and two of his friends um and i help but i can't take full credit for being a race organizer i more help with like the english translation on the website and um some other logistical things but yeah it's an idea we got from uh racing pyramenta together and racing trans rockies together we like really, really liked this partner racing and sharing a race. Um, it's a bit different than just showing up at a race and running by yourself and like a, kind of the idea of a race being more like an experience and like a whole weekend other than just showing up and like having your, your post-race lunch and then driving home. Yeah, no, it sounds, it sounds like a, again, a, like a shared experience. And so I assume I have to run with like, when I go out there, do I get to pick anyone 
do I have to... Like, you sign up with your partner, so you can choose your partner ahead of time. <laughs> so I can pick Courtney DeWalter as yeah. my partner, and since she's right here in Golden... Um, totally. You guys are invited. <laughs> Just let me know. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of some other people. Maybe Schlarb would be up for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyone. I mean, you can run with anyone. Um, and then the coolest thing I think about the race is that there's at least one via Ferrata section. Um, so you have to run with a harness and a helmet one day, at least one day, depends on the year uh, where the course goes. And there's kind of like a scramble climb part. So it's more than just like a running race. It's There's a, uh, a bit of technical climbing too. That's awesome. Katie, I mean, I, we could just talk for hours and hours about any one <laughs> of your races that you've done. So I'm glad we we got to hear more about your story. You know, I hope you're um, spending more time on that bike and, and getting in the schema while you can. So thank you for taking so much of your time. Last, last odd question here. And then I want to make sure uh, you shout out to your sponsors and everyone. Oddest food at a European aid station for, for your American background. What is, what is the oddest thing you've seen at of all these races? Was there anything different that you found appetizing? I don't know. Compare the aid station in Europe to like your speed goat 100K or 50K. Hmm, I think that's it's hard to make a general statement because I haven't done a, every race in the US or Europe. Um, there is, I will note because this is coming up and I've already thought about it, um, at at the Mute at, in Madeira, they have this really delicious local molasses cake that they have at the aid stations. And I discovered it by accident last year when I was trying to find something to eat and just grabbed it by chance. And at all of the following aid stations, that is like all I was eating. I was just taking like fistfuls of this molasses cake. So if anyone's <laughs> heading to Madeira, you grab the cake. Well. Yeah. really good. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. I already thought this year I need to bring some Ziploc bags with me so I can like take some, you know, for the plane. <laughs> we, we had some lady take five pounds of cake <laughs> yeah. at the last aid station. Oh, uh, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you running for right now? Who are you sponsored by? Uh, so our main sponsors are On and Garmin France. Awesome. And where can people follow you on social media? Uh, Katie Scheid on Instagram and my athlete page on Facebook is also Katie Scheid. Uh, as far as I know, I'm the only Katie Scheid, so <laughs> it shouldn't be too difficult to find me. And if, if people are interested in a uh, one-in-one run to camp, where, where can they find more information on that? Uh, either send me a message or okay. it's at run to camp on Instagram or the one-in-one on Facebook. Awesome. Katie, thank you so much for your time. Have a good night i think for you afternoon afternoon yeah yes <laughs> have a great afternoon thank you yeah thanks it was great to meet you and that was episode 128 i hope you guys enjoyed it big thank you to katie for taking so much of her time we were on an eight hour d- difference during that call so i think uh it was well worth it her story is amazing she's only going to blossom from here keep an eye on her she's super super talented I can see her having some great ultra running years ahead of her. Big thank, big thank you to the show sponsors, Kogala. Check out the show notes if you need a discount code or a link to them. Same with Exoskin. 
appreciate them quite a bit. And big thank you to Destination Trail, Hammer Nutrition, and all you Patreon supporters. You know, I'll, I'll try to continue to mention you guys and give you a shout out, whether it's in the intro or extra of every podcast episode going forward with those new tiers. Check them out. I truly appreciate you guys. And most importantly, have a great week. Don't forget to enjoy your training. See ya.